What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, Panther fans? Welcome to another podcast of the Four Man Rush. Tonight, we got myself, Will. We got Country Kev, Big Smooth, and special guest, uh, Mike Wall. So welcome. Tonight, we're going to talk a little about the Super Bowl yesterday. So let's get started. The Rams defeat the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. to Competitive game throughout. Uh, Mike, we'll just start with you. What's your overall thought to the game? And what did you see? It was entertaining. It was a competitive game. You know, I think because of some of the injuries on the Rams side in particular, it turned into maybe a more competitive game. But, you know, at some point last week, the narrative became all about is that offensive line of the Bengals actually going to be able to hold up, or is Aaron Donald going to be that kryptonite to the to the Joe Burrow Superman? And at the end of the day, Aaron Donald's the best player in the NFL right now, and, and he showed why last night. I, I love to see, you know, as, as an offensive line guy or as a trench guy, I just love to see the battle go in there and the attention that it got, just understand how important it is that be rock solid up front on both sides of the ball. So I think that was a win for the uh, – I just think that was a win for the big guys. Right. I mean, saw the game start out. The Bengals uh, force a punt. Defense makes a good stop. Go for it on fourth down and one very early in the game, and they get stuffed. And what's your think of that call? Would you rather pin them deep or be aggressive Dude, there? The, the call looked great, man. You, If you watch that replay, <clears throat> there were some guys wide open. He just had his heart set on throwing to Jamar T- Chase. Right, He had the swing pass, and, he, and he, had the, he had the receiver out on the sideline wide open. He just – he kind of had his mindset. But to be fair, Von Miller – Crept inside already early in the game. Crept inside on that on that right tackle, man. I think it's Prince. Those I felt bad for that right side of that offensive line. They had a they had a, they had a rough go of it. Yeah, it's smooth. I know you're big on the trenches. What you think of the Bengals' offensive line issue yesterday? Well, I just want to say <laughs> Von Miller gave me some nightmares, man. <laughs> From when we played him in the Super Bowl, seen a lot of the same things going on. You know that inside something he made. Definitely made a difference. And, you know, you just brought it up, Mike, but Prince has been a liability all year long. And it's just – I don't think this was a rocket science type of thing for you to figure out. You know, the strength of the Rams was the defensive line. The weakness was the Bengals' offensive line. Even though you had a close game, it just goes back to our original principle. Everything starts and finishes in the trenches. So I think the Rams run that battle. And that's made a difference in the game. I do want to give a shout-out to Raheem Morris. That's yeah. another thing to add to your resume. You got you another Super Bowl. His first one was as a, was as a D-back coach for the Bucks, but he just got one as a D.C. I mean, there's nothing else to really be said. I hope he gets the head coaching opportunity that he's that he's looking for now. I'm just – I just got to I – watched, I watched a really good game where it just came down to the trenches. We don't get to see that a lot where – even the casual fans can look at the trenches and understand that, you know what, this is how you win Super Bowls. It wasn't so much about quarterback play. It really came down to can you beat the man in front of you, and we got to see that this past Sunday. Now, to me, it was a tale of two halves. I mean, I thought the Bengals did an okay job protecting Burrow in the first half. They were had two, three bodies on Aaron Donald at all times, but the adjustments – the Rams were able to make in the second half to create those one-on-one matchups for Aaron Donald. It just kind of took off. What you see there, Mike, from the first half to the second half, how the yeah. Rams were able to get, uh, improve that pass rush? 
Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple of things, right? I, I think the Bengals probably lulled themselves to sleep a little bit with a false sense of security because Joe Burrow was getting rid of the ball so fast. But the difference in the game, if you sit there and watch this, I know we had to sit through Collinsworth and NBC, but he kept talking about overloads, right? And here's the deal. If you're running an overload on me as an offensive lineman, I'm thrilled to bits because the hardest thing in the world that you can do is put Aaron Donald in front of me and give him an inside and an outside go, right? But if you bring a guy in the A gap, the B gap, and the C gap, I know you guys are going to end up in one of them. So I feel like I'm actually much more comfortable with it being stacked like that because you really don't have many, very many places you can hide. Plus, we can bring that offside guard over and turn it into a slide protection. What the what the Rams ended up doing, and the really the difference in the game, it happened late in the second quarter. I think his name is Hunt number 50 for the Rams. He took on Mixon, and Mixon was not – that he he could not hold up. He couldn't hold his water. They got a they got a pressure on Joe Burrow. So the next time in the same situation, they went scat protection, and and I think it's hunting. Is it is, am I, is it right? Is my is the name right? Hunt number fifty for the Rams, the linebacker. Yeah. yeah. So Hunt blitzed. So they slid to Donald on the right side. He blitzed the B gap on the left side. That's when Donald got his first sack, chasing him out because they pressured Burrow again. They tried mixing one more time. And, and he tried to cut out Hunt in the A-gap. He did barely broke stride, and they got another sack pressure, okay? So what happened, the difference in the game in the second half was they all of a sudden had a real issue because you couldn't slide the center to Donald every time. They either did it with a five-man line running that big 3-4, that 5-2, however you want to look at it, and then they just drop a guy into coverage, so they're only rushing four, keeping their principles clean. Or they would walk 50 up and make that right guard or that left guard just hold there for one second. Because when you've got Von Miller and you've got Aaron Donald 1v1 versus subpar lineman, all you need is that half step, that half second. And, and all of a sudden, you can't get that slide over in time and you got real issues. And right. to me, that was the difference in the game. That was Raheem Morris saying, like, I understand that what's going on now. We don't think that Mix – and Mixon had a great game on the run – he could not hold up in pass pro, and all of a sudden it turned out like the lineman's not, now the line or Burrow has to deal with that uh, that hunt, that uncovered uh, linebacker, and all of a sudden you got real problems. Right. Kev, what do you see from the Bengals O-line? Because, you know, you look back at how this team was built. I mean, you go back to 2015, they've drafted 12 offensive linemen. Of those 12 picks, five of them were first and second round picks. Um, they signed Riley Reef during the offseason as a free agent to be their right tackle. He gets injured. So when people say they haven't invested in the offensive line, it seems like they have. You think it's a scouting issue? Is it a coaching issue? What do you see, Ken? Um, for me, I just see uh, I just see poor technique, you know, particularly in the interior um, offensive line, you know, when watching this game because – you know that the idea that at first they were kind of neutralizing Donald with having the having the center to help out with the uh, double teams to buy the, uh, to buy enough time, uh, that showed me pretty much okay this is what they're gonna do. So you know you play chess not you play um, chess not checker. So when the Rams made the adjustment and finally was able to expose and get that isolation one on one matchups, then uh, you know it it just pretty much reverted back to what we had seen all year the team that allowed their quarterback to be sacked more than anyone else in the league. Uh, I think it was a Super Bowl record for sacks last night. I think what uh, it was eight mm -hmm. on Joe Burrow, which was a Super Bowl uh, record. I was like, wow, because I thought it was um, 
you know, when the Bucks did it last year against Mahomes, I thought that was a record at first, but uh, they clearly exceeded that one. Um, just with the Bengals, uh, you know, they 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 got chased. I'm glad they got chased, but their whole offseason should be built on tearing down and rebuilding that line from starting. Like, no position should be a guarantee at all. It should be open tryouts. I don't know how many draft picks they got with their salary cap situation like, but uh, uh, they they need to do what Kansas City did and just retool their whole entire uh, offensive line. Uh, Mike, this has been an issue with Cincinnati since Burrow's rookie year. I mean, they drafted Jonah Williams first round, Billy Price first round, and they have sixty million in cap space that's unused. I mean, should they just go the veteran route and try to get some plug and play guys that can start right away? <laughs> Yes, that's a good question. And here's what I see, and here's what kind of like bothers me from a development standpoint. When you watch, we talked about this before, guys. Like, if you want to see, if you want to judge whether or not a team is well coached, then look at their double teams and their pass off in, the, in their games. And I saw multiple times where these guys would like double team Aaron Donald, another three technique, and they both come off of the linebacker and leave leave the guy in the hole. In the Super Bowl, this is like week twenty three, I think. They're still making those mistakes. They can't pass off basic games. Their communication's poor. Right? They're not, they're not ID the right backers. And so for me, like we see this in other teams. Young guys can play in this league, right? I mean, you go look at your Green Bay Packers, man. They were starting like four new starters this year for most of the year. Like you can do it, right? And you have a guy, and you're going to give up sacks because you have a younger quarterback, and sometimes he gets fixed in and all this stuff. Like you're not going to lead the league in like – you're not going to lead the league the other way in, in the least amount of sacks allowed. But you don't. You could be respectable, and they're not. They're not really respectable. And so for me, I always look at it this way, man. The bandwidth and talent in the NFL is such that I can go find five guys that can play football if I really put my time into developing them. And one thing that's really frustrating is you look at like you just. This is kind of a blanket statement for around the league, and like how we how we all kind of do business, right? If you don't shine a light on your issues during the season and you don't fundamentally change how you're developing those guys, whether it's like, maybe we got to change practice. Maybe we've got to take more individual time and more group time. Maybe we've got to watch. More. There's something that has to change in order to get these guys better. And you made it all the way to the Super Bowl with your quarterback getting smacked in the face, you know, 51 times in the regular season, 12 or 13 more times in the postseason. And it's like, you're surprised this happened or you're, you're going to act like it didn't matter. And so for me, it's like you can go hire whoever you want, but there's not – I'll just tell you right now, there's not five all pros that can overcome a lack of development that are on the free agent market. So regardless if you want to draft them, you want to bring in guys, whatever you want to do, you're going to have to find a way to change your mindset as an organization and start developing talent, man, because that what they're doing just clearly isn't working. Right. What's your because I know you talked about a little. I knew you're familiar with uh, Jonah Williams and Billy Price. Well, Billy Price isn't on the roster anymore. I guess he just couldn't stay healthy. But of those guys I named, only Jonah Stevens still starting for them right now. Well, I'm leaning towards what Mike has been saying. So you can go ahead and draft whoever you want to. You could. Okay. So. And, uh, oh, go ahead. You can draft whoever you want to. You can. Sign whoever you want to, but if you don't develop the guys right, it's not going to really matter. So I think the concern going into the offseason, the offseason should be more about who do I have developing these guys? What kind of what kind of coaching staff do I have around these guys? Because well, you brought it up; they drafted over ten different guys in 2015. 
out of out of that bunch, you can you can find five good football players. It's about developing guys. And what Kevin pointed out earlier is there's there's just fundamentally flaws. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I brought up the fact that the communication is off. Guys aren't picking up the right blitzes and stuff, and stuff like that. All of that stuff is addressing the film room. It's not so much addressing the draft or in free agency. We just got to get better in the film room. So I hope they go ahead go ahead and get a coach that can kind of upgrade that area of it. You know, help guys watch film better, help guys have better better stances, help guys communicate better with each other, and that'll be the way to fix that Bengals offensive line. Now you look at the Bengals drive, the touchdown drive in the first half. Joe Mixon had five carries, 26 yards, then they connect on the halfback pass for a touchdown. The rest of the game, he has 10 carries for the entire game. Now, Mike, you had mentioned they probably had to take him out of the game on third down for pass protection issues, but why do you think they weren't able to get him involved other than that one drive? Well, usually the part of the, the way they were running their offense like from the last couple of weeks was – Run the ball on first down, right? And then they'd get second and seven, second and six, whatever. And then they'd, they'd start getting into their drop back or their, their shotgun passing game. And I think, you know, early on in this game, you saw when the when the Rams came into that 3-4, that 5-2, again, however you want to look at it. But they had basically five big guys in there, and they weren't able to run the ball. They were trying to shut it down. And they didn't really try to capitalize that on that with the play-action pass until the first pass of the second half for a touchdown on that questionable no call versus uh versus Ramsey but you know the thing about Mixon is he's gonna he's the kind of kid that can make something out of nothing and I think he did that he did a pretty good job of that but if you kind of watch the game there's probably only two of those plays where he's got clean holes I mean the, the the Rams defensive line and the linebackers are beating up the offensive line of the Bengals they're not really creating push you know there's there's just a couple things here and there that are happening but when you get into this habit of like, all right, we're going to run on first down, then we're going to go shotgun second and third, you know, it's like for me, it's always where are the screen game, where's the quick screens, where's 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 all the stuff to get out of the ball out of the hand a little bit faster. How do we how do we get the quarterback off his spot so he's not in the same spot every time? It's like you got to use all of this stuff right to 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 kind of help your quarterback out of your offensive line out, and that's why I think with experience, you know, Zach and that crew will probably be a little better next time they come around. On the other side, I mean, even though they lost, I thought the Bengals' defensive line and linebackers played an excellent game as well. I mean, they were playing two high safeties, so you had one less guy in the box. They were still able to shut down the Rams' run attack. I mean, the Rams just couldn't get a consistent run game going all four quarters. What did you see from the Bengals that made them so effective? <laughs> and I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I thought Hubbard played like a damn all-pro. Okay. He looked amazing. You know, Hig Higby being out for the Rams hurt them. Haverst – you know, the Rams offensive line, you kind of ever since they lost Stafford, is it Stafford? Stafford for and went to yeah, Tennessee. Stafford, yeah. Roger Stafford. He he's a hell of a good player. And they they just miss that kind of player, like that dynamic, downhill running, aggressive athlete. They just kind of look like they're all playing tummy sticks, kind of just waddle into every position. They just don't look very physical. There's not a wave coming off the ball. Backside the tight ends and, and the right tackle were struggling against Hubbard and I mean, the Bengals just played on their, their side of the line of scrimmage for, for most of the game. I thought, you know, I didn't think either of these lines was going to do well, but we weren't really talking about the Rams and, and how really they had the propensity to get beat in the run game because they just don't really come off the ball very hard. Right. I know, Kev, we were always big on uh, DJ Reader, Bengals defensive tackle. I thought he played a pretty good game as well. What did you see from that Bengals D-line yesterday? 
yeah, I mean, that did, <clears throat> that Bengals D-line, you know, they brought their lunch pail and their gloves and they went to work. Um, they were determined not to, to not be the reason why uh, why they were not going to win the game. Um, it was just incredible just watching how they just, you know, just played good front, fundamental technique. I saw a lot of low pads uh, from the, the defense, not particularly Reader. I mean, he had three quarterback hits, uh, tackle for loss. Um, you know, Henderson, I mean, all them guys, they just pretty much were determined to um, not to try to make the uh, Rams one dimensional. And when you look at the stat line, they did. I mean, uh, the Rams didn't even average two yards a carry last night. And but I, I got to give credit to um, the play calling of the Rams by sticking with it and not turning it into where Stafford's dropping back, you know, 40, 45 times. You know, so a lot of times with the run game, and Mike, you can attest to this, it's not. It's not always got to be about piling up the yardage. It's about setting the tone, and it's yeah. about giving a certain look. So, because you know, so many play actions are based off of what they see in the run game. So, I got to give credit to the Rams that even though they didn't um, yield a lot of the results that they felt like they needed, but but not turning Stafford into um, a one-dimensional pass-heavy um, type of performance. I think that was uh, that was huge on their part, but. Hats out to the Bengals D linemen. They, they, for me, they got an A for me for for the way they played. Yeah, they had like, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They had like, not. I see here they had a total of nine tackle for losses. Uh, the Rams had eight. So both D lines continually played behind the That's line of scrimmage stat. all night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when you look at the back end, I thought they did a. I mean, they had Cooper Cup pretty much contained early in the game. They threw a lot of too high safety looks, tried to keep everything in front of them. Second half, that kind of changed them. Mike, did you notice something the Rams were doing to get Cooper Cup more one-on-one opportunities and get him more open? No, nah, I don't think he got more one-on-one opportunities. He probably got less because OBJ got hurt, right? It's just right. – I think at some point in the game, Stafford was like, all right, we're going to go win this thing. And who's the best player on the field? I'm just going to throw it to him. Right. Especially after – I forgot the guy's name. The guy came in for uh, – you know, so that so the, they get the, the long touchdown, kick the ball off, and then whoever that was hit the dig route – got one hand on the ball and, and turned it over immediately. I think after that, Stafford was like, you could see that whole team was kind of down when OBJ went down, if rightfully so, man, he was killing it. Like he was, you could see, he was primed to have a big game. Right. And uh, it was very, very unfortunate to hear that he, he, he busted that ACL again. But yeah, I just feel like, I just feel like there's times in the game. And this is where, you know, regardless of how you feel about Matthew Stafford and Detroit and all that, his history, you got to give that guy credit, man, because, that team was down. That you you could see the frustration and the anxiety on Sean McVay's face on the sidelines. You could see the body language on the sidelines. And dude, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And I, I'm not talking about their defense, right? The defense is a whole different thing, right? Aaron Donald's right. his own guy, and Von Miller's his own guy, right? But on offense, they were down. And Matthew Stafford's like, you know what? I'm gonna go win this game right now. And Cooper Cup, I'm just gonna throw you the ball until they prove that I don't care if you're double teamed. I don't care what's going on. You're you're open. You're always open because I'm that good, and he's got that kind of like he's got that arm strength, confidence that just some people can't have. You know, he's just got that confidence. Like I can fit it into any window. So you just go ahead and give me a shot. And he did it, man. Congratulations, that guy. Yeah, that pass on the game-winning drive when he's looking at the the stick route and throwing to Cooper Cup coming across the middle, and that's probably one of the best passes I've ever seen. Throwing a no look pass like that. Uh, Smooth, what do you think of Stafford's performance? I know he was in play for the quarterback this year. 
this climbs the Panthers, goes wins the Super Bowl in LA. I'm just I, I, I'm just usually surprised at the reviews I get about Stafford. It's like he's one of those guys you either love him or you hate him. When I look at his resume, I have to respect it. You know, I don't think people really understand what it is when you say I played in Detroit. We've watched it hold a lot of careers back. Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson. So, like, I don't really want to – it's hard to just look at his his whole resume and just say, oh, he's this because of what he did in Detroit. I'm thankful he got the opportunity to go play for a real football team, not saying that the, the Lions aren't. But in this game particularly, you brought it up. That no-look pass. <laughs> that no-look pass, man. To do that in a, in a prime game, the biggest game of the year, that just shows you got ice for you got a uh, ice cubes in your veins, bro. That was a big throw. He drove his team down the field and, and made a throw. I wanted to talk a little bit more about what you were asking about the Bengals. I think the unsung hero was was Jesse Bates. We scouted him heavily. He made plays not just in this game, but he's been making plays all year long. And he doesn't get spoken about enough. So that's even more credit for Stafford. Like you had a really good secondary you were going against. And you found a way to make plays when it mattered. Wasn't the MVP, but like Mike said, I mean, you got to give that guy credit. I think that kind of solidifies his Hall of Fame statement because he's always been putting up big numbers. He went and got him one. What else can we argue about? Right. It seems to me with Cincinnati in the first half, they got in trouble playing the single high cover one looks. And that's when they had that slot fade to Odell Beckham on the touchdown. So the Rams were able to find their matchups when the Bengals went that route. Then in the second half, I guess in the red zone, you really don't much have a, much of an opportunity. They were able to identify Eli Apple, who I don't know why they left him on an island with Cooper Cup with the game on the line. I mean, that was a complete mismatch. And, you know, he's getting his on Twitter. So, you know, it is, they just gave them the opportunities and were able to capitalize. On the flip side, look at the Bengals game-winning drive. Uh, Mike, what do you think of their third and fourth down play call? And they go with P. Ryan instead of Mixon on third and one. And then on fourth down, they try to uh, throw the ball and not try to run it again. Are you talking about to end the game? Yeah, to end the last two plays of the game. <laughs> like, like we could you could go ahead and talk about the decisions to not have Mixon in, and, and like I, they're all valid. But this is one of those where I just go you just got to see what greatness looks like because Aaron Donald pinned back the right guard with one arm and reached around him and grabbed the running back with his left hand and basically just like, you're not going anywhere, little boy, and just fell backwards and, and denied him on that third and one. That was actually the more impressive play. And then he had that one-on-one versus, I think was I think his name's Quentin Spain, who was talking yeah, a little bit of trash, I think, last week after, after the last game. And, man, I'm not even sure. Like, he almost blew his back out. He missed him so bad. And listen, that's that's two weeks in a row where that that dude comes in and ends the game with his arms around the other opposing team's quarterback. Like it's just amazing how good he is. You know, I don't second guess if 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 you if you have Mixon in third and one, you know, listen, it it, it wasn't really about Mixon, right? It was about the fact that they couldn't get movement. Right. And the thing that probably is the most perplexing thing if you want to talk about decisions is why would you run it? At, with the with the with the two fan blocks on the backside with the right guard right tackle like why would you do why would you put Donald in the hole I know he's dangerous backside too but I think he pressed that guy's chest in like you know in, into the backfield the first time they tried that on the first fourth and one that's how they that's how they got blown up the first time right the first time they would try the short yardage play 
So it's like, why are you going back to that? Like, go back to another. Don't go back to that play. That doesn't make any sense. And you got to throw it on fourth and one. You got the, you know, the best player on your team is Joe Burrow. But it's, again, we, we talk about hindsight stuff. Like, maybe you get him off the spot a little bit. Maybe you run a, you know, a, a, a sweet pass or something like that, trying to keep the flood routes, trying to keep him, trying to keep him on the move. Because it's just, he's, Aaron Donald, man, you just knew when they got on the back on the field, like, that game was a wrap. I just think you saw just so much more creativity on the short yarders on the Rams side when they realized they couldn't run it on third and one. What do they do? McVay calls that jet sweep to Cooper Cup, get away from that Bengals defensive line, get them on the perimeter, make a good block on the outside, and they're able to pick up that first down and extend the drive. So just didn't kind of see that creativity from the Bengals who have weapons and players that can do that. You know, where were those plays like that with Jamar Chase? Uh, Kev, you have any thoughts on that final drive? Yeah, I was just thoroughly impressed with the uh, with the bad that Sean McVay went in to uh, to get the uh, to to get them in position for the game winning drive. Uh, it's it's a, like I said, you could tell the ones that make adjustments to adjustments, and the ones that determine we got to do it this way because this is what we practice all week. Uh, and it just seems like that um, the Rams adjusted and the, and the Bengals did not. I, th- I think a lot of times we can just get uh, some coaches can get complacent uh, with their strategy. Uh, you mentioned before, uh, Will, you and Big Smooth both, like how certain coaches have egos about themselves. Like they you know on the biggest stage, oh, I got to make this about me versus doing what is fundamentally and logically sound for this particular down and distance. But um, hey, hat- hats off, man. Um, the fact that Cooper Cup knew that, all I was going to be him, and he still was able to uh, put up. I know he didn't have the big guardy numbers that he did, but everything he touched was clutch. And uh, Except for that throw to Stafford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Philly special 2.0. I guess that's uh, – I don't know. I don't know what they're going to call it. but it, He missed it, Stafford it, by a mile. Yeah, he, was, he had a running start and threw it off one foot. I knew it was going to sell. Uh, on them now how much they practice that who who knows but uh that was definitely uh that, that was definitely something else but uh while i had a chance here mike i want to ask you because i know you played on it here um we was talking about obj and going down like i've been seeing a lot online particularly on twitter they seem like the, like the players are trying to get some sort of um sign a petition like to do away with the turf the turf monster yeah. um what's what's your thoughts on you know seeing you know playing on turf and how it affects guys careers teams and and things of that nature well there's there's a couple different things that are going on there with the turf that's that's i think pertinent to this when when turf first came out i remember we were up in detroit and they were the first people to have the new quote-unquote sport turf like they got rid of astro turf they put sport turf in and they were the guys were like all these guys in suits were walking around the field patting each other on the back for putting this stuff in and you, me and Mike Flanagan were out there screwing around. Like, you know, we used to have, like, have a tobacco and, and just go hang out before the game. These guys came over and told us what a great deal it is and everything, right? And then we had – there were seven lower body extremity injuries that game. So from from the jump, it's been problematic. And, and they've done a great job at the NFL of kind of, you know, doing some, some cleat tests and understanding, okay, what kind of cleats you should have in the, on that field because the rotational force, blah, blah, blah. But here's where it really is the problem. Turf is harder on your muscles. In other words, it, it fatigues the muscles 
faster than the grass does. It's just a different kind of surface. The absorption of everything is different. So, like, when you ask, like, the speed guys, do they want to be outside hot in the summertime or do they want to be on the turf? They'll be outside hot every time because it just physically hurts them to be on that turf over and over. And the reason is just it, it fatigues you. And so what do we know about what do we know about muscles when they fatigue? They don't fire at the rate that they're supposed to. Their firing rate changes. And that's how people get hurt, right, bottom line. And, and sometimes I think it's easier for the NFL not to connect those dots because financially it makes more sense to have turf. It's easier to change out. It's easier to keep nice, et cetera. But, yeah, I, I wish they'd get rid of it altogether, to be honest, because playing on grass is just so much easier on your joints. Everybody's used to it. And you can have fast grass. You can have old Green Bay Packers three-inch grass. You can do whatever you want with it, right, to, to give your team a competitive advantage. But, but I would love to see them go back to grass. I know it's not necessarily feasible in some of these places, but I'd love to see it. Right. They, they want to have their concerts. That's it too, right? Like, yeah, yeah it, it would be, it's tough to do some of that stuff. And they, and they think about it in terms of what, you know, when they build a stadium, they're, always, they're not thinking about the NFL. They're, those games are already booked, right? They're thinking about what other, can I get the rodeo in here? How many concerts can I get in every every month? Like they're thinking about all that other stuff, and they want to do whatever is most kind of financially feasible for them to to be able to to pack that stadium as often as possible. Yeah, in our case, it's because we got a brand new soccer team that's getting ready to start. So that's why we made the change to turf this past year after all these but, years of. But soccer guys, there's nobody that hates turf more than soccer players. I'll just tell you right now, there's nobody that hates it more. So you think football players hate turf? Soccer players hate it even more. But it's again, they just don't want because what do they have to do? They have to. You, the only option these days is to grow it on a, on a field next door and move it in like they do down in, like they used to do down in Houston. I think they do that one other place now too, where they can literally roll it in on a pallet underneath, and it's it's an expensive. That's what they, they do it over in Tottenham. That's where they do. They do it for the new Tottenham Stadium, but it's a very very expensive ordeal. You got to have a separate. You know, you, gotta, you need real estate and all this kind of stuff. It's. It's just a lot to ask, but you know, for the players' health, it'd be a lot better to be on on, on that grass. And you see all these new stadiums, full service venues. It's, I think at this stage, how feasible is it to have all these teams have to replace their surface with natural grass? Guess the Rams have kind of a roof open, so they can maybe get away with it. But teams like the Cardinals with their new stadium, I don't know how feasible it would be there. Um, so. Well, so what they do with with Houston, what they used to do at least, and remember, it's it's one of those retractable roof places, so it's not always open. But they literally they grow the grass right next door, on a on like a slide like a slider, and it just literally slides underneath, hmm. and it's real grass. And then if they want to, and then when they want to grow, you know, put it back out in the sun, they just go put it back out in the sun. Now there's always problems, right? But it it. It's it's do like anything's doable given the fact these guys are all billionaires. It's just right. how yeah how much they want to do it. <laughs> you know what's crazy? <clears throat> I went to football camp at Rutgers back in like 2005, and they had just got the field turf. It helped my 40 time a whole lot. So straight line, <laughs> yeah. straight line athleticism is great for that. Yeah. But I did witness a couple of guys have ACL tears just in the football camp. So. I'm not a fan of it at all. I've heard stories about the the rubber inside causing cancer and stuff like that. I'm just not a big fan of it, man. I just wish we didn't make that transition, but hopefully somebody somebody can get together and get it out of here. I know it makes the game more exciting because guys are moving faster, 
But it's just not a good look for player safety, in my opinion. It's interesting. After the concussion movie comes out, the NFL tries to do this campaign overall about player safety. They're going to eliminate hits to the head, all these things, yet they're still allowing these turf fields, which are hard on players' legs. They're encouraging to hit low. So you got guys going low and knocking guys' knees out. Uh, receivers aren't protected. I mean, quarterbacks, I guess, are protected low, but you're a wide receiver in the open field catching a ball. The DB can come take your legs out. I think that's how what Robert Woods got hurt this year. So <laughs> it's like they just don't have the same emphasis on lower leg injuries with these players. No. So as we uh, wrap up today, I want to talk about a couple of um, legacies. First, Aaron Donald. You mentioned he was going to retire. I mean, incredible career. Seven All-Pros, eight Pro Bowls. Is he the greatest defensive player of all time? Mike, does he have a case? Oh, yeah, he definitely has a case. Now, uh, Lawrence Taylor would be the only person that even comes to mind that might be on the same level. But for at least for, for the generation that I'm kind of involved with, I would say Aaron Donald, the best player that I've ever seen play. He is the most physically – because it's so much harder to do what he does than to play outside linebacker defensive end. Because he's getting doubled every single play. He's going against guys. And he like he's look, if you put him in a lineup with all like the, the best D tackles in the league, and, and you knew you didn't know anything about football, you'd be like, I'm not gonna pick the six one guy. He's only 285 pounds. But he's also the strongest, the fastest, best leverage, most speed, best hands, best, you know, best feet, and work ethic, football intelligence. Dude's like he looks like a damn cartoon character. He's so muscle bound. And I, I've just never seen a guy who, you know, I think I told you guys the story where Steve Smith would be like, I'm looking at the safety. And he'd be like, why, why aren't you looking at Rondé Barber? He's like, because Rondé Barber doesn't exist in my world. And, like, I feel like Aaron Donald feels that way about guards. Like, he's kind of looking at the guy who's got to beat after he beats this guy. Like, he's that good. And as good as, like, even John Randall was, I don't remember him being that good. This guy's just – he's next level. You're absolutely right. Like six feet two, what is it, six feet 285, I think. Yeah, six one twenty four. Mike, John Randall. John Randall was a great comparison. <laughs> yeah, John, John. He's like John Randall to me. He's like John Randall two point oh. Yeah. And, you know, they have like different, a little bit different styles. John had. John would beat you on his first move. He'd get back in front of you on a second, and he'd beat you again with the third, and get the sack on the third move. He was that kind of guy. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Donald has. I mean, the game is so more efficient now. Just the way that they think about pass rush and everything, it's a little bit simplified. Um, but he's he's so precise with his with his hands and his feet, and they're so well tied together that I mean, when he beats guys now, it's like he shouldn't be able to beat guys that bad. And I don't, you know, it, they're just like like out loud. You go, why would I? If I'm six five, three hundred twenty pounds, why would I allow a six foot, two hundred eighty five pound guy anywhere near my body? Like, why would I do that? Why would I keep him completely extended? But he does it every game. So you're like, maybe, you know, we're watching on TV going, man, I must be missing something because they just he just keeps doing the same stuff. And it he is he is an absolute, he's an absolute killer, man. It was so, it was so we if he's done, I feel lucky that I got to watch him. He's that good. I'll, he's like, he's like, I'll go get my popcorn, I'll watch him whenever he's on. Right. Since we are, hey, since we're talking about guys being done, Mike, what you think about Andrew Whitworth, 40 years play. old, playing in the Super Bowl at a yeah, high level? Yeah, that was nuts, man. I mean, I, I never imagined playing until 40. And uh, 
I mean, when Witt came in the in the game, he was uh, he's a massive human. Like he's he's one of those dudes who's just kind of next level big. Always moved pretty well. He used to play guard with the Bengals actually before he played tackle. And um, what's been crazy is you know he's lost a step probably, and you know we were kind of talking about he's maybe not the most physical player in the world, but for the size he is, the durability like most guys at that age, his joints are breaking down and whatnot, and he just seems to play with a level head. He's got that huge, you know, football intelligence. He kind of, he kind of knows how to cheat the game a little bit and, and, you know, picking up little half seconds here and there, but it's, it's incredibly impressive, man. Like I literally, when I was 40 years old, to even think, even if I was completely healthy, no shoulders, no nothing to think about playing ball and against guys at this level, uh, it's, it's like, it's incredibly impressive, man. I'll, I'll tell you one, I'll give you one that to kind of compare it to. Bruce Matthews, are you guys remember the name Bruce Matthews? Okay, so Absolutely. Bruce Matthews was an all-time player. But I would say, honestly, he was playing with Tennessee probably the last five years he was playing. He shouldn't have been playing. Like, he didn't deserve to be in the game. They would, like, start him to keep the starting streak going. Then, like, somebody else would come in, like, after the first series. Yeah. And Whitworth is out there balling. Like, he's playing he's well. Playing he's got some football. things he can work on, but he's playing well at that age, man. It's, it's super impressive. I remember in 2017, a free agency season, the Panthers had a choice between a younger Matt Khalil and Andrew Whitworth was also a free agent. So I guess they figured oh, Whitworth was at the tail oh, end of his career. And, man, we're going to go ahead for them with the younger Matt Khalil. Ryan, did Ryan, Ryan, must have had a, Ryan must have had a say in that, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Most likely. <laughs> right. Hey, you want to know what's the funny part, Mike? We, since we jump at, they said this was a down year for Aaron Donald. Let me let me give you what these down year stats look like here. Yeah, right. Eighty four total tackles, thirty eight solo, uh, nineteen tackles for losses, twenty five quarterback hits. This was Aaron Donald in twenty twenty one, along to go along with twelve and a half sacks. That was a down year for him. Do you know what us Panthers fans would give if Derek Brown would do half of that? <laughs> This year, <laughs> I mean, that lets Listen, you know the stratosphere this guy been playing on for this to have been a down year for Aaron Donald. That's insane. Guys, yesterday during the game, there was there was a point in the game. And granted, the Cincinnati Bengals are – these guys are all professionals, but they're not very good, right? There was a point in the game where the entire, the entire defense for Cincinnati was over here on the left side and Aaron Donald was on the right, and the center was like, I don't care. I'll let everybody come beat us. Aaron Donald's not going to beat us. And he gets that just about every single game, every single play, no matter who they're playing against. Like, there's not a guy in the league that's like, oh, I'll take him one-on-one. No, I'll shut him down. Don't worry about it. Like, there's not a single guy in the league that that feels that way about that man. So, to to have a year, it just speaks volumes. It's like Aaron Rodgers said, man, my off years are other people's career years. You know, he's, he's just that kind of guy. It's interesting. He's already mentioned saying the R word, talking about retirement. But I guess he's now be able to retire on top. Looks like he's really wants to be with his family. So we'll see what happens there. And I guess the last guy we want to talk about his legacy is Matthew Stafford. I mean, they were talking about Hall of Fame with his, his career with the Lions. Now he's a Super Bowl champion. He doesn't have any MVPs or all pros, but that's hard to do in Detroit. Uh, Mike, do you think Stafford will end up being a Hall of Famer with his body of work to date? Well, if he retired today, you know, it's 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 really tough. Um, not because he's not deserving, but because he was in Detroit, and some of the you know the people who vote for this stuff, they're not you know it's not football players aren't voting for the Hall of Fame guys. It's right. it's some writer in Chicago who doesn't like Detroit, and you know it's 
it's it's different. So I would say that he probably has to put together a couple more good years in, in LA um, just to make sure. But you would you would think with his resume, with you know some of the success he had with Calvin Johnson, um, and then having the Super Bowl championship and having Cooper Cup going for the Triple Crown, like you're associating yourself with some in, in pretty rare company. So you know, I, I, if it was if I had a vote, he'd be in. Okay, well, uh, there you have it. We're uh, 45 minutes in. Uh, Kev, before we sign off for the day, you got anything you want to say to everybody? Um, no, nah, I just want to thank everybody for their continued support uh, of the Foreman Rush, especially with these um, episodes with uh, with Mike. Um, we begin a lot of feedback, comments, things like that. So, Mike, I personally want to say thank you for uh, reaching out to do this collaboration with us um, during the, during these playoffs. Um, definitely hopefully we can um, continue and do something later on down the season. I don't know, maybe something post draft or, or whatever. Uh, we definitely will. You're, you're, you're honorary four man Russ. So you're welcome to come back. I appreciate that. Anytime you want, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can get you some, some four man Russia pair to hang up behind. I was going to say, back. I need some gear, man. If you, I need some gear and, and you guys are going to have to educate me on the draft. Cause I, I'll be honest with you. Me and Amon were doing our podcast today and, and uh, are on my block podcast, and and I, we were just sitting there going, man, like we do not follow the draft. Like we just, whoever, if you're playing, I'm interested. If you're in underwear running sprints, like I just, I just never cared. So I, I, I feel like I need some education, man, because I don't even know. What to, I, I know what to look at, but it's not the same things that they're talking about. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. Well, we actually got a couple of guys on our staff who are uh, who play college ball and college coaches here who uh, who have been definitely uh, schooling you know guys like myself. Uh, on it so that uh, you definitely want to follow along on one is um on Twitter uh the Panthers Den he's one okay. and um was it Coach V Holmes is that the other one Will for uh, Vince yep. yeah so we, we'll we'll tag we'll tag them on your uh, Twitter they 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 are uh, uh we're we're blessed to have them so if you uh, you're looking to get a little draft one on one we'll uh, we'll be glad to bring um, bring you in better it's better Mel Kiper. Anything but Mel Kiper, man. It's like anything but Colin yeah, When Boyd, he didn't retire after his Jimmy Clausen comment, I was done with him. You know, when he said, yeah. if Jimmy Clausen is not a Hall of Famer, I've been waiting ever since. <laughs> Jimmy, I forgot about that name. You guys haven't, though, I bet. <laughs> hey, that's the, that's the draft pick that got us Cam, so hey, you know. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> no, uh, What's going to happen with Cam this year? Is he, is he, uh, is he, gonna, is he coming back? Does he have any word? They want him back, but I mean, I think it's just gonna depend on contract situation as always. And he said he doesn't want to come back to a five and twelve team, so right. I guess they got to put a better roster together to convince him to stay. <laughs> Hopefully, I hope he comes back, man. He means a lot to that yeah, team. Oh, uh, Mike, the season over. You want to tell everybody about what you got going on with process to perform, and as we approach the off season. Yeah, we just the process of performance. So it's you know it's just a, a platform I use to help players, parents, and coaches try to reach reach elite man. So we still run in the process to perform podcast. that will be coming out on Wednesday this week. Some Super Bowl reflections, some lessons from the NFL season. Trying to get a lot of interviews in with some professionals in different in different uh, aspects of sport, whether it's performance psychology, strength conditioning, players, coaches, etc. And then always um, you know people that are kind of willing to or people that are looking to you know, get to that next level and are committed to their cause. Like we have a total athlete development platform and a, and a coaching seminar now that I think is going to hopefully continue to help a lot of athletes and start to help a lot of coaches kind of get to their best. So really excited about the future here. And it's going to be a fun off season. Okay, great. 
Well, again, appreciate you for joining us these past few weeks. Hope to have you on again later in the year as we approach the draft. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in tonight. We'll cut it off short at 45 minutes, so just tune in next week. We'll start to count our draft coverage. You got one more thing on Facebook? Yeah, I just want to uh, – All right. I want to let you guys know this weekend was really surreal for me. I intended to just be all in on football, all in on the Super Bowl, but I had to fly home to Jersey to bury one of my first teammates, Kyle Brummer. I just want to give him a shout-out. I want to give my class of 2006 a shout-out for the guys that came out and, and showed support to his family. He was my best friend, man, going through football. My first injury was with him doing angle pursuit. I hit him so hard I collapsed and separated my shoulder. That was one of the things that that came to mind when I just thought about him. But he passed away last week. I went home, met up with a bunch of my classmates and old teammates, and we all got to come together and talk and just reminisce about some of our good memories. And it's relevant to this pod, this podcast because football is a great way to just express love. And I just want y'all to know that, you know, if you got people that you care about, family, friends, teammates, et cetera, just try to let them know that you love them. I just want y'all to know that uh, number 77, Kyle Brummer, always in my heart, man. Love you to death, bro. Yeah, definitely. Sorry for your loss. Prayers to your family. I know prayers to Kevin's family as well. So hopefully everybody can, uh, you know, appreciate people while you have them here, right? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Absolutely, man. Keep pounding everybody out there. Just keep pounding. Mike, you keep pounding. You're a Panther with us forever. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Hey, speaking of which, how about Sam Mills? One more, oh, yeah. one more thing. Congratulations, Absolutely. to Sam Mills' family. Oh, yeah. huh? I forgot to mention that. Like that, about time, right? That was a big yeah, deal, man. I know, on his yeah. on his last round too. That's I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was good to see uh, Sam Mills the third there representing them. Um, Dude, they're taking care of that great. defense too, huh? They got Seymour, Bryant, Young. Yep. <laughs> Bby was a beast, bro. Right. Bby was. A, I mean. Seymour, Seymour was an absolute legend. Like, oh yeah, you might they, those guys might not have those uh, you know those sack stats, but I'm telling you right now, when Seymour was on the like when Seymour was on the uh, docket that year, you're like, oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> start it was great to hear. Uh, he's, he's, he's gonna be one about, of the games, uh, Sam bro. Mills and his impact on the locker room and the, basically built the entire culture of the Panthers. My first memory was in uh, 96, I think, beating the Cowboys in the playoffs. He had the game-winning play that game. So definitely a long-term impact on both Panthers and the Saints, part of that uh, Dome Patrol. That was one of the best defensive units ever put together. That's a fact, man. I appreciate y'all, man, for letting me on tonight, man. Definitely appreciate it. This was a rough weekend for me, man. It was good to come on here and laugh and talk with you guys, man, because I've been there. In a weird place these last few days, but I appreciate you. Okay. Well, thank you, man. Again, thank you, Mike, for joining us tonight. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you missed this podcast, you can catch it on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. Keep pounding. We'll see you guys in a week.